Welcome to the Creative Industry Insight Podcast, a podcast that looks at various roles in the creative world. I'm your host, Bobby. Today's guest, director and cinematographer, Andre Parag, joins us to talk about their work on Succession. Please be warned, there are heavy spoilers in this episode. So sit back and relax as we jump into the conversation with Andre. Hi, Andre. Thank you for joining me today. Uh, Thanks for having me. I'm excited to sort of jump into the world of succession. And I feel like this episode's kind of been like two years in the making because I know I wanted to talk to you before about Mm. uh, scenes from a marriage and things just never aligned. But now somehow it's all the stars have aligned for us to talk. (laughs) So I think before we sort of jump into your work on the latest season of succession, I think we kind of want to start from the beginning where you were the DOP for episodes one to three for season one. And then you got a chance to direct an episode as well. You've effectively created the look for the show and started up for the look. How did the project first come about for you? And what were the early discussions of how the show would look? Because it doesn't have that. It has those sort of crush zooms sometimes. It has that sort of fly on the wall feeling rather than a more sort of high end TV show where it's kind of, you, you do have a lot more movement and handheldness to it. Well, the conversation began with the pilot director, Adam McKay. He gave me a list of movies to see as a kind of stylistic jumping off point. And one of those films was United 93, Paul Greengrass's film, which I found terrifying as an idea. I found it incredibly intense, very in the moment. And I've, I thought the idea was interesting. And I just talked to Adam about maybe bringing some more elegance into it. So we sort of ended up, I proposed basically shooting everything off of two long lens zooms, usually at 90 degrees to each other. That sort of became the overarching style of the show. It allowed the actors a lot of fluidity in terms of their movement. Adam didn't want to do a lot of takes nor a lot of coverage. So what I found uh, the solution to that was was to basically try to do everything in camera, tell the story from a single camera without basically editing. So start maybe tight, then pop up maybe wide. And there was always two camera operators, myself and, uh, and another operator on the on the pilot. And basically, the, the, I think the biggest hurdle to sort of overcome was getting all the dialogue on camera. And Jesse Armstrong's showrunner was okay with us not getting, seeing all the actors speak their lines, which was hugely freeing because suddenly we weren't forced to do coverage in the traditional sense. And I think the show has kind of become really a lot about people's reactions rather than line deliveries. Uh, on camera. And uh, it was just very freeing for, for everyone, having the relief of not having to have every line on camera. The way that you, the scenes are captured, I do like how you've mentioned the idea that a lot of it is the reactions. So there are a lot of quick whips in in the show. But then I guess it's like, it's even though you, you don't understand like the harsh delivery until you see what the people's reactions are like. 
And I do like the house then focuses on the people being like, well, I can't believe somebody just said that to me. But then there's also the idea of these people in these environment where they need to be quick back at one another. So if one's on the attack, then the other sort of needs to have a retort very quickly um, to sort of survive in the world that's been created. Yes, I mean, that's definitely the case. What's interesting in, in terms of how we develop the show was that it was very clear from the beginning that all actors were on camera all the time. It was it was a sort of, it's a bit of film theater in that sense. And what it forces everyone to do is be 100% in it whenever the camera's rolling. And having, giving the operators freedom to sort of move the camera to where they think is dramatically interesting, I think also heightens the drama and gives it a bit of a documentary feel. I mentioned before, fly on a wall feeling of mm-hmm. you shouldn't be listening to all of this stuff, but you can't help but stay and watch what's like the car crash that's potentially unfolding in front of you <laughs> and the decisions that people are making. Yeah, I mean, it's. I think the scripts are brilliant. Jesse has managed to sort of make this beautiful mashup of Shakespeare and Chekhov, the comedy and the tragedy that, that he can just walk that tightrope that I think adds a sense of tension to the show. You know, it, it, the comedy makes the tragedy sort of passable and watchable in a way. You know, the line—the lines are great, and I'm always sort of just laughing to myself because of what people said and how people react to it. Yeah, a hundred percent. And it's just that the the mixture of you mentioning the Chekhov and the Shakespeare, but then adding the sort of more uh, modern comedic sensibility, but also that sort of excuse my language of like characters not giving a fuck what others think when they yeah. say it's like there's no filter of think before you speak and having those people's reactions to it is um part of the whole sort of nuance of the show because because you came onto the show as the dop and then sort of transitioned into the directing phase how did that change in terms of you understanding the show the characters and knowing where the story was going to go you know i would say that as a dp and i'm and i still work as a dp so that hasn't changed for me i've always been very aware of performance and my working style as a dp is to try to make it as simple and have as few remove sort of the the apparatus of filmmaking as much as possible you know no lights on set you know try to light from windows or use practicals and just making being very aware of an actor's process so i feel like that transition to directing wasn't that, it was a very natural transition, I would say, because of my awareness of performance. You know, this was the first time now that I was talking to actors. And I think 20 years ago, I became a DP because I was terrified of actors. And that terror is still in me every day when I when I speak to actors, because, you know, they, they uh, are extraordinary in their singular focus on themselves and their material and the characters, right? I think as a director or DP, you kind of need to see big picture. For the actors, it's really, everything is generated from the position of the first person, me. So that's, I I find that very fascinating to sort of start talking to actors. You know, when I, I do a lot of listening with the actors, I like to, when I'm working with them, I tend to use the quote-unquote off-camera actors to try to get performances as opposed to asking for specific things from the actors. I think it really works like in a show in succession where actors are actually listening to each other 
and they're forced to listen to each other because sometimes there's improv that happens, right? So they need to sort of react to the person that's in front of them as opposed to the lines that are in their head. And it's what I love about the show like Succession is that everyone is absolutely in the moment. Every actor on set, camera operators, focus pullers, like everyone is really tuned into what's happening between these people at this moment and generally don't give marks to actors. We're not, they don't, we don't tell them where to go. If something, if they do something in one take, they probably won't do it again in another take. You know, sometimes you get into blocking a scene and you, you need to cover it. So you ask them to sort of repeat things, but we try not to do that as much as possible. It drives the script supervisors crazy a little bit, but after four years, they've, they've learned to let go. So <laughs> Uh, but yeah, it's just, you know, it's it's great fun making that show. And uh, I guess your original question was about my sort of becoming a director. You know, Succession originally was really a lot about camera placement. And because the actors were so good, it felt like they weren't, they didn't need much direction. So as a DP, I was placing the camera kind of already. And so as a, it just seemed like a natural extension to then have to deal with my own shy personality and very comfortable hiding behind the camera as opposed to having to deal with, you know, talk to actors and answer all the crew questions, which was something very new to me, uh, which I, I guess I enjoy. Getting out of your comfort zone is always a good way to challenge yourself. And yeah. with, I, I guess when you're going onto a project where the actors have kind of lived these characters for a number of episodes before you come on. So it's, I guess there's always like a through line as because it's a TV show, you've got the showrunner who basically call the shots. And then is you guys are the offshoot of those ideas. Um, I think stepping on to with actors and discussing what's needed. But as you said as well, like having that idea of when you're on a set and sort of people not know where their marks are, probably makes it a little bit easier for yourself, would you say? Just because then instead of worrying about people coming in to deliver a certain line in a certain way, it's kind of feeding off the energy of the show and what the other actors are doing. There's also the same with like the listening part, which is also really critical because you want to make sure that people are reacting and actually understanding what's being said rather than just a back and forth of this is what's written on paper. Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, you know, one interesting thing is like I was talking to some actors last night and they said if they had the chance, they would just probably sit next to each other and have the dialogue, right? As opposed to blocking in a room, which becomes kind of more cinema, more theater, because all they want to do is not have to think about where they're moving to and just get to the sort of emotion of the scene and the emotion of the lines. I mean, what's nice about Succession is you feel like the camera is always reacting to the actors. Camera is always just a moment behind in the way that you would be if you're shooting a documentary, right? You don't know where the subject's necessarily going to go. You're kind of, it's very much fly on the wall and you're just kind of chasing what they're doing. And that's very much what Succession is, you know, and I think the show is, the primary focus is the performances. So for the DPs, yes. They're asked to light scenes, but they're at, they're mainly asked to light spaces for the actors to sort of inhabit. It may be less beautiful of a show than something more classically composed, but that trade-off for me is is incredible performances and that feeling of total immediacy of being there with them at the moment. I think that style 
really lends itself to uh, your episodes in season four, because both episode five and eight is very reactionary from characters of what's happening and what is appearing on screen. So with with episode five, uh, with the trip being set to Norway, where where everybody goes to meet, finalize the Gojo deal, that is very much like a you need to make sure you get the uh, actors' reactions because what's happened after the death of Logan Roy and the sort of aftermath of what's happening. When it comes to shooting something like this, because it looks like you've shot in a lot of intimate spaces. So one example is like the forest area, uh, the hotel space. Also, there'll be times where, as you said before, people and also places where people are just sitting and discussing ideas. Does that make it easier as a director, knowing that you're sort of positioned in the smaller area to be knowing that you can get the right reactions from people, but then also having those actors be more more concerned about how they're delivering the lines and what the reaction of each character is going to be? We kind of choose, I would say my experience as a DP is basically to put actors into spaces that you can photograph from as many angles as possible. You know, it's what makes a good location. And, you know, for, for a DP locations are sort of what actors are to a director, right? They are, they're what you have to work with. And if the location is not great, the material is going to suffer. So it's, it's always choosing uh, the right location to set a scene in, which, you know, maybe it, maybe it works against the idea of the scene maybe it works for the idea of the scene you know it was really loved the the last sort of meeting between Matson and roman and kendall up on this mountaintop where you felt like a lot of things before then feel kind of quite claustrophobic you know the the, ho- the hotel rooms are quite small where they're staying there's just a lot of people in the sort of buffet lunch that they have where they have one of one of their big scenes and then to sort of put this on put them in this mountaintop feels a little bit felt to me as a very dangerous place to have a have a meeting because no one's around there's a moment where i feel like roman could have gone off and hit you know started like a physical fight with matson you know he gets so upset about his father and you don't really know what's going to happen and so just to sort of isolate them in a space where no one is that feels sort of endless was my solution to to what that scene needed. And there's an intensity between the actors, I think, because of what the location gives them. You know, they're they're forced to sort of speak quite closely to hear each other in this space. I don't know. I'm, it's a, I think a lot of it is sort of you just sort of instinctually gravitate towards things. And I also found it quite cinematic to be up there. So it was a good place to land a helicopter for sure. I think that whole sort of scene as well, because you, as you mentioned, the sort of intimate danger of having this quite important meeting. And then because the characters are in such a emotional place, just losing their father and being very reactionary in what they want to do. I think the whole episode really does set up the rest of the season of how people are trying to be too clever and that they're going sort of more for a reactionary decision rather than sort of like, like, let's take a moment to actually understand what's going on and to make the right deal. And being on that scene as well, up in the mountains, as you said, you could push them, you could push somebody off there. There's a lot of sort of like rocks around. You can use that as a weapon because he's so rattled about what 
he has said about his dad. And I think you, I feel like sometimes as well, that's one of the times that you actually see Roman for who he really is in terms of as a human. And because a lot of the time in the series, very sarcastic, comes up with those sort of one line liners where you just think like, what an annoying little brother. But then I think as well in the costume design in that scene, because he's wearing, I'm not sure if it's actually Logan's cardigan itself, but it's one that's very similar that you see in the credits. So you can see that there's still like a lot of hurt amongst them as well. And I think Kendall's performance as well being very, uh, what is it, very restrained. Touched, restrained, very detached. You know, what I, what I think is interesting in, in episodes five and eight of this year is it really feels like they, Roman finally maybe understands himself and understands his place in the world of this company. I would say that Roman seems to be the one that really wants to carry the banner of ATN for his father. You know, when, when Madsen, in their first meeting, when Madsen sort of offers to buy ATN as part of the deal, Roman's immediate gut, you know, his gut reaction is no way. It's not even a, it's, it's a straight 100% emotional reaction. And it comes off him seeing, you know, the photograph of his dead father sent by Connor. But Roman is really leaning into, I think, his adoration for his father, maybe as, you know, what his father would expect of him, where I feel like Kendall's already sort of left that a long time ago, having kind of been fucked off by dad, where Roman never really was. There's a sort of, Roman, I think, is trying to honor Logan Roy in the series in some way. And yeah, you're, you're right in terms of that as well, with Kendall just being sort of used as a... Uh sort of play toy for his dad to say, well, will you be number one? Will you not be number one? And I guess having that sort of, sort of like being toyed with has built up that tolerance of like, I'm not going to show, I want to have a better poker face on how I'm going to be dealing with this because I was just out of curiosity, I was watching the first episode again and you see when Kendall goes in to do the deal with Volta and it kind of just blows up in his face that they don't want to buy it. Whilst now, this sort of deal he's kind of become a lot more mature and actually understanding uh, how to do the business rather than just sort of think that's yeah. all good and rely on dad he's kind of grown as himself yeah i mean they, you know kendall i think has is able to sort of compartmentalize especially in episode eight what it means to push mencken through and to support mencken as president right it's he realizes that it's good for the business and it's good for what he wants to do with the business in terms of tanking the Matson deal, even though it's probably not great for his adopted daughter, right? And what it means for America. But he somehow is able to sort of, again, compartmentalize those feelings and separate them. And I think tragically so. Whereas Roman, I think it feels like he's very clear headed about what it is he needs to do and what he wants to do. I think when you look at, Episode eight, I think that kind of the direction in that, in terms of how the story is unfolding, because essentially, if you are pretty much in one location for most of the episode, in terms yeah. of being at the TN studios and how everybody's sort of playing each other off and trying to sort of, you have one team which is Shiv, the other team is uh, Roman, and then in the middle you've got Kendall who kind of swings it in the way of Roman and but only as an emotional reaction to Shiv 
Right. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. It was that last, you know, one of the last scenes where you find out that Shiv hasn't done the deal with Nate, yeah. and it's like, okay, great, you've screwed me over. I'm going to screw you over, and it's just sort of, it is that sort of because that the whole story thread has begun from that episode four, and then it's unraveled to the episode eight as a director as well because you're you're on certain episodes and then you're not in between the gap for episode five, six, and seven. Do you get to sort of get privy of where the story's going with that? And then on top of that, as a director, do you discuss with other directors the sort of road that they're going to take for their episode so that you all, you're all on the same page? I mean, I would say that we, we have access to the scripts, but for example, you know, the people that were making, episode four didn't have episode five because it wasn't written when they were shooting. Right. So there was, or there were very, uh, very, very early drafts. So you have, you basically get to see scripts of things leading up to your episode. But I, for example, I haven't read eight or, or nine or 10. I don't know what happens in nine or 10, which is why I'm going to keep watching succession. <laughs> and oftentimes we, you know, you just don't have a chance to really interface with the other directors because they're shooting while you're prepping and our prep times and the shoot, you know, they're all quite condensed and compressed. I think it was 12 days of prep and 12 days of shoot for each of the episodes. So things are happening very fast and changing and scripts are changing all the time, always for the better. So you're always kind of a little bit on the back foot in terms of, and you're always playing catch up. What was interesting about episode eight is that we had to shoot basically an entire television episode for all the thing, everything that was on the monitors had to be prepped ahead of time, which was a massive undertaking because that had to be done. You know, we had to shoot that, those elements two weeks in advance with a lot of input from some really amazing election observers and people that have worked in the industry telling us basically how it's done, what states are called, when, like what, what that night looks like in the election but yeah, it was a massive undertaking to shoot all that material for basically not just ATN, but also PGN and then a couple of other networks to sort of fill out the screens to make it feel like you're in a, a world that is not just a one TV channel in town sort of world. Yeah, making the world feel a little bit more lived in and it's not sort of focused on ATN. You mentioned something as well where you're talking with political uh, analysts and how things are being called. Because the American electoral system is very different to sort of the UK uh, in terms of how we elect our prime minister and, and how president's elected. When you're sitting down with these analysts, you know, where did you begin in terms of sort of discussing on how to make sure that it's as accurate as possible presented on screen? And what else, what did you learn from how they worked as well? I mean, what's what was interesting is that when we shot the pilot in 2016, that we shot the pilot during the presidential election. And there was a sort of election night party at Adam McKay's. Adam was getting these texts about 20 minutes before the news would break. So you saw the sort of lag time between when people knew things happened and then it was then on television. That night, you know, everyone was quite buoyant and optimistic and over the course of the evening, it got quieter and quieter and people started leaving without even saying goodbye, right? And then you, so that was, you know, it was a good, under, good understanding of, you know, how news works where people know things like 
20 to 30 minutes ahead of time, and then it's on the air, especially on live TV. With the analysts, it was really helpful to, we asked them basically what an election night coverage looks like. You know, they each worked at a couple of different networks. So they came in and they'd worked on a bunch of, I think, probably four or five presidential elections each. So they had a sort of wealth of knowledge of what happens, what happens where, who knows what, then when the public knows. So that was really fascinating to sort of peek behind the curtain of live television news broadcasts, especially when it comes to, you know, something like an American election. And I've always found it interesting in America that the because of our two-party system, election night looks like a sporting event, right? There's two teams that are kind of playing and there's a big scorecard and numbers are being thrown around and one team's ahead, then another team comes ahead. And so that was that was all really taken into account when we were putting together our ATN coverage uh, and also PGN's coverage and what networks kind of look like. Like ATN was much more sort of flashy and I guess a little bit more leggy in terms of news anchors, news anchor women, you know, what kind of personality types are on screen, all that kind of stuff. I think it's also like really fascinating how you compared like the election as like a sports, sort of like a sports game, how it feels like a big pageantry of turning like, oh, this is going to happen, announcing this one, oh, breaking news, we've just got yeah, the results yeah. in. Yeah. And then showing the graphics with like the percentages breakdown and who's going to win. And even the sort of uh, the announcement with, from Mankin in the way that he's sort of celebrating it feels like a post game speech and a post like a manager having that sort of just won a championship and sitting down being like, yeah, it's great. We've done this. We've done that. And it's not, it feels more organic, rather um, organically performed and also spoken rather than a sort of media trained sort of answers on things yeah it's it's just terrifying <laughs> uh yeah and and having that sort of idea but it, but in a way the election as well feels like a big sort of like ticking time bomb in terms of like what's going to happen who's going to go where and that sort of creates extension in its own way because you you as an audience member you don't know where it's going to go do you find that it's in when you were sort of having that idea and theme was that something that was always in the script in terms of having that election as being that big countdown to which side people would end up on in terms of like the betrayal and then kendall's idea of basically turning his back on his beliefs not beliefs but you know on his own family just to get the better deal of for the company you know i think that's that's really falls into the kind of writing camp and say a lot of the brilliance of the show is in the writing and you know it's interesting i think t like television directing per se is interesting because you know when you come on generally the characters know more than you do as the director you know the writer definitely knows much more than you do uh as the director so you're there really just to make sure that things are shot sort of dramatically how you want them or comically how you want them with definite input of the writers but it's you do take definitely ownership over it, but it's very obviously not yours. That being said, you know, you do get to put in your, you know, your 15 or 20% of influence in, in where you place the camera, where you, where the dr dramatic tension of the scene falls, how the actors play. So you, you do have a lot of control of it, but, you know, you, you really are there to serve the script. And luckily the scripts are quite amazing.
do you think that like this is just pure speculation it, because we will probably find out in episode nine and ten do you feel like this is just between United Succession fans? Do you feel that with the Shiv betrayal, do you think Roman might have done the same thing, but because Kendall doesn't have a direct link to Menken's team, um, he wasn't able to sort of ever sort of back that up, that the um, idea that the FTC would uh, tank the deal? Uh, I think what's interesting about Roman and Kendall and Menken is that in season three what it takes with that episode that I also directed where Mankin sort of Roman sort of introduces Mankin to the room and Roman becomes Mankin becomes kind of Roman's project in a way. Right. And Kendall gets kind of a little bit boxed out because Mankin is so extreme maybe. And, you know, it's, it's really this sort of tight bind between Roman and Mankin that I think makes Roman feel very comfortable going to going to go talk to Mencken uh, the evening of the election, right? Uh, something that allegedly Logan Roy would never have done. So just by virtue of that, the sort of experience that they have together, I feel like uh, Mencken is very much in, in Roman's camp and Roman and Mencken's. And so Kendall's a little bit sidelined in the relationship, which then means that he has a little bit less power in, in determining what's going to happen. I guess as Kendall, the character, not having that control over his brother to sort of push, encourage him in his team. And I think you kind of see that in, I think it's episode six, uh, where they talk about the living uh, app, where he's talking to Rome about, you know, he's fired certain people, like the studio head, and um, also fired Jerry as well. And instead of Kendall sort of condoning that behaviour, he kind of just encouraged it, being like, yeah, nice, I like it, I like it, just to sort of more have him in his corner i think i think in those in the scenes where you find out when at the end of episode eight where you have kendall make the comment saying that like some people just can't make business deals yeah i think that's quite telling in terms of that maybe kendall was just playing everybody off with each other until he made the right move to actually know who to go with and who he can trust to sort of get over what he wants really yeah, I mean, I think Kendall is really hoping that Jimenez will make that deal with him, right? Jimenez kind of refuses, kind of refuses, or just doesn't really acknowledge what Kendall's saying. You know, when he when Kendall calls Nate and then tries to talk to Jimenez, so it feels like Kendall is hoping that Jimenez will be that the conduit to to ruining the deal when he's not, and when that's not going to happen kind of magically changes his allegiances right <laughs> and really kind of shows his you know his true colors yeah and what he sort of wants at the end of the day just to wrap this episode up i feel like i'm going to give you a bit of a hard one because sure. uh, it'll be like asking who your favorite child is what was your favorite sh- scene to shoot throughout your whole time on succession i guess there's two one was the bore on the floor sequence that dinner, which was incredible, amazing, terrifying, horrible, humiliating, but really like I think pushed the limits of of the show. I think it pushed the limits of everyone. You know, I, I just sort of talked to all the actors and saying, like, you know, this there's this is gonna be humiliating for you guys. What are you okay with? What are you not okay with? 
you know, because even humiliation on camera is still a is still a personal humiliation, right? And it was just you know making making a very trusting environment where you feel like where the people felt safe. We had a sort of safe word just in case it got really uncomfortable for people. Definitely born born on the floor. That dinner sequence was great, and then I really liked the end of the first episode I directed, which is when Kendall sort of tries to take the the board by storm, but gets waylaid in Long Island and and gets stuck in a tunnel and has to kind of run back during the board meeting. And when he's kind of fucked off by by Logan and he leaves and he's sort of walking listless in Manhattan, the DP Chris Nor let me operate the camera. Because I sort of knew, you know, I didn't know exactly what we were going to get, but it just ended in this sort of very beautiful Abbey Road moment of Kendall kind of stopped in the in the pedestrian crosswalk with cars kind of coming at him. And that was a really magical moment to shoot and to sort of capture. So those two, it wasn't that difficult to answer. I was, uh, I was expecting it sort of be a mix between more than two, but I think that the idea of the, like the bore, bore on the floor scene, it, it is so well done to make you feel very uncomfortable because hmm. it's i think you have those two sets of people you've got the people standing up sort of cheering and laughing at the whole scene and then you've got those on the floor who are kind of just rolling yeah. around but i do like the idea that you've uh, did talking to people and creating a safe word because as you said even though you're a character having that humiliation you're still enduring that humiliation as a human and it's kind of probably one of the sort of lowest for you know that it is such a massive oh, humiliation. Yeah, it's so degrading. But the actors were so good about it, and and so good in really being you know sticking with it and, and trusting the experience. And I think that episode is is all thanks to them. Yeah, and you see that sort of, I guess the sort of like sadness in their eyes and faces of what they're doing. Yeah, and then your second scene as well, having as you said when you're being able to operate i guess it kind of allows you to let that scene flow having that abbey road where he's walking across i think that sort of image as well kind of is a turning point where kendall's going to be walking to the other side isn't because we see later on in the next sort of few few episodes is that he sort of goes back off the beaten track and falls off the wagon starts using drugs again and then escalates to further problems yeah, he's just crushed by his sort of his own sort of foolishness a little bit. Yeah. Andre, thank you so much for joining me today. Succession is being streamed on uh, HBO in the US. In the UK, it's on Sky Atlantic. Go, go, I know there's probably spoilers in this, so it's probably spoiled people, but go out and enjoy the show. If you haven't seen it, it's a blast. <laughs> Thanks, Robert. Thank you. You take care. Bye-bye. Okay. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe, rate and review this podcast.